0: And could you turn with me to the book of Revelation? That's the last book of the Bible. Revelation and chapter three. It's page one thousand and thirty in the church Bibles. One thousand and thirty. And we're going to read the letter to the church in Laodicea. Uh, this, by the way, will bring us to the end of this series in the the, the letters or the early chapters of Revelation. Next week, uh, we're going to begin to look at the book of Romans. But this is the final of these seven letters addressing the church. So I'll read from verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out. out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him and he with me the one who conquers i will grant him to sit with me on my throne as i also granted and sat down as i also sorry conquered and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, there are two different ways of understanding uh, preaching what goes on on a Sunday morning. Uh, I confess I've moved between the two over the years. Uh, the first, which I held to for a long time, if you'd asked me 10 years ago or so. Uh, the first says that the, what happens is that someone stands up and teaches the congregation about Jesus. Uh, if they're doing it well, they're doing it from the Bible. But basically, person A, you know, Joe Joe Blogs is teaching St Edward's Church about Jesus. There's another understanding, though, that nuances that, and nuances it better, I think. And this is the understanding that that is more sort of evangelical. It's been held in the evangelical churches, and that is that on Sunday morning, as the minister preaches, provided he's being faithful to the Bible. Then instead of it being the minister talking to the church about Jesus, it is Jesus talking to the church through the sermon. And never is that more the case than when we come to these letters in Revelation. Each letter begins very directly with Jesus addressing the church. These are the words of, and then Jesus gives himself a title. They end each one, you can see it in verse 22. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In as far as what you hear over the next few minutes is faithful, and of course only that far, then you must not think, here are some thoughts of John T., but here is Christ speaking to me. And your, your job is to listen to the voice of Christ in this text as he speaks to us. And he has four things, I think, to say to us, to the church in Laodicea and through them to us uh, this morning. He gives four things, really. The first is a warning. This is perhaps the most famous of the seven letters. And it has that famous warning. I know your works, verse 15, you're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and not hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. And I wish you were one or the other. Now, he's not saying, I wish you were either really on fire for me, hot, or hot totally not into me cold and okay, there is nowhere in scripture where Jesus or God says to his church hey I wish you 100% for me or 100% against me why would he ever want anyone to be 100% against him okay, it's easy to misread that warning like that uh, that's not quite what he's getting at uh, rather the, the understanding lies in the whole idea of water you're neither hot nor cold cold water is useful isn't it Okay, cold water, what's cold water useful for children? It's useful for drinking, isn't it? Okay, cold water is a nice, nice, refreshing drink of cold water. Hot water is useful. It's useful for washing, for cleaning your clothes, for cleaning yourself. But lukewarm water, pah, no one likes drinking lukewarm water, do they? A hot cup of tea, a cold glass of ice water. But lukewarm is disgusting. If you drink something that looks lukewarm, it makes you want to ugh, spit it out of your mouth, which is exactly what Jesus threatens to do. To the church. And so when Jesus says, You're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were one or the other, he is saying, I wish you were actually active living for me. I know your works, verse 15. And you are essentially good for nothing. There is nothing about this church that he commends. Almost all the other churches, he'll put his finger on something and say, Look, that's really good. Maybe it's a doctrine, okay? Your doctrine's great. But you do seem to have become a bit unloving. Or we'll say to another church, look, you seem to be booming. You're loving, you're growing, but you're tolerating all sorts of false teaching. This church led us here nothing. Nothing. You're good for nothing, like lukewarm water, that he is saying. And that should both challenge us and calm us. It should calm us if we we read this letter and think, well, if I don't always feel like I'm 100% on fire for Jesus, he is going to spit me out, vomit me out. The reality is, between now and your death, you will not always feel 100% on fire for the Lord. You ought to, we ought to, but we just won't. If Jesus threw out every single Christian who sinned, Every single Christian who fell short of the life we're called to live, every Christian would go. Rather, this church here, uh, this church in Laodicea, has just totally gone to sleep. They do nothing. Christ makes next to no difference their lives. Uh, the explanation is there in verse 17. Okay, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Literally, by the way, that's Vomit. I don't know why the ESV's tied it up. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick, says Jesus to the church. T- tough words to hear, aren't they? Jesus speaking to the church, you make me sick. Why? Verse seventeen four. here's the explanation. See the word four at the beginning of the verse, children? Here's the explanation. What makes Jesus sick? Well, the church says, hey, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. The problem that makes Jesus want to spit them out of their mouth is they are spiritually proud, complacent. They don't need anything. They don't need Jesus. They are entirely self-sufficient, or so they think. Of course, the reality is totally different. As Jesus sees, he sees their wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. They're in a total state as Jesus sees it. But as they see themselves, hey, we're great. Uh, when they say in verse 17, we're rich, we've prospered. Uh, it may well be they mean it literally. They okay, it was a wealthy city, had various things going on that made the citizens pretty wealthy. So it's quite likely that the, the Christians in Laodicea were physically wealthy Christians. Uh, others think that, it, that it's a, a kind of spiritual wealth they think they have. We are spiritually rich. Very often the two things go together, don't they? When we become materially rich, when we no longer worry about our food, our housing, our safety, it it can make us just dull spiritually, complacent. I think of the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it earlier, didn't we, children? That line in the middle, give us today our daily bread. Now, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray that, that would have been a real concern. Every day, where is my food coming from? hey, we live in England, it's 2022, there's Tesco around the corner and Sainsbury's and Asda Delivery, and we're not really worried, most of us, if we're going to get bread today. And so we can start to think, well, no need to pray, no need to rely on Jesus, especially for my food, maybe I rely on him for some other things, a promotion or a spouse or, but food, come on. And so we just take a little step away, no reliance, don't need him. We're rich. I think you can often tell a temperature Of a church or even our own Christian lives, by by that question, what can I pray for you? You know, people ask, What can I pray for you? I don't know if it's someone total total stranger, you sort of might not want to be confessing your sort of deepest, darkest secrets and all that, but in general, someone you trusted, what can I pray for? you? and if your mind goes totally blank, if you have to desperately think, it's probably a bit of a giveaway, isn't it, that we're not really praying ourselves. No needs come to mind. Or at least I have to really think. Oof, what would be? And it's almost like kind of it, it, it gets to your birthday, and, and you've already got everything you need. And you, you kind of now, every every year at Christmas, my mum says to me, you know, what, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I'm, I'm 41. I don't need anything. You know, I'm really trying to think of maybe a book to read or something. But I don't really need anything. It could be like a prayer. I I just don't need anything. But that's a desperate situation to be in, isn't it? We always need. So much from Christ day by day. Or else that the only things come to mind are, if I can put it this way, entirely worldly. Oh, I'd love to get a promotion. Oh, I'd love to get our kids into that school. I'd love, Freddie's limping a little bit. We'd love to work out what the problem is. Now, those are all good things to pray for. Okay, we're encouraging the Bible to pray for health. Okay, for physical side of things. So we don't want to get snotty about that. But if those are the only things, or dare I say it, the main things... On our hearts and our minds, then something's gone wrong. It may be that we've become the Laodiceans, thinking we're rich. Where is the desperation? Where is the desperation for holiness? The desperation for a growth in faith, to have our eyes open from the blindness that obscures our sight of the glory of God and the goodness of God and the kindness of God? Where is our desire for white garments? I think that stands for righteous living, holy living. Where's our desire for the gold that Christ offers? The riches of knowing him. Uh, a while ago I saw a, an interview with a, a missionary. He was a missionary in Hawaii. And he said, whenever he goes to conferences of other missionaries, uh, and you know, they're all talking about it, where are your missionary? And you know, one person's in the middle of a war torn zone, another person's serving on the. So, you know, in a dangerous, under a dangerous repressive regime. And, and he, he gets to him and he says, I'm in Hawaii. And they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, nice. And he said, actually, he said, I know, I know I'm not in danger. I'm not going to get arrested for being Christian. I know. But it's incredibly hard work because Hawaii is paradise. He, he goes and preaches the, the gospel and he tries to sort of convince people of their need for Christ. And there's this little phrase that keeps coming back and it, it's, I know kia. I read this, I was like, I don't care, what does that mean? It must be something, but it's, it's sort of pitched in English, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Everything's all right. So although he's in paradise, in paradise beaches, he's not in danger of his life, he's not fearing persecution. In fact, perhaps because they're not fearing for their life and they're not fearing persecution, why would I need Christ? Now we, as Christ at Central, we, we might not say that explicitly with our lips, I hope we wouldn't. But are we living that way? We're not depending on him. We've become totally lukewarm in Jesus' mouth. No desperation, no desire, no reliance. We think we're fine because our earthly concerns are met. And actually, we haven't realized that spiritually we are so weak. Is that you? No concern for those outside the kingdom? No concern for evangelism and the lost? Their desperation for growth in faith. Jesus gives a warning. Secondly, verses 18 and 19, he gives, well, he gives an offer. Verses 18 and 19, I counsel you, I advise you children, I'm telling you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich. White garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so you may see. It is already the kindness of Jesus. He doesn't say, look at you, you make me sick. Now go away and come back when you're better. He comes to them making an offer. I have everything you need. You're sleepy, you're dying, but I've got everything you need and I'm offering them to you. Again, if that is you this morning, Jesus is not coming to you simply to dismiss you from his presence. He is coming to you to give you what you need. I think the images probably overlap maybe with some distinctions. Gold, he offers gold, the spiritual riches that are available to us in Christ. He offers these white garments, as I've already said, white garments often in the book of Revelation stand for a holy life. Salve, that's kind of a bit like medicine, children. Salve for your eyes so you can see. Uh, When I was young, uh, for a while I... I used to have this thing in that I'd wake up in the mornings, I couldn't open my eyes. Uh, they'd be sort of stuck shut. don't know what it was. Sounds gross, doesn't it? Uh, but I'd wake up and I, you know, I'd get out of my bedroom and I'd have to feel my way down the corridor of the house to mum and dad's room, and then mum or whatever would put eye drops in, and, and slowly I'd be able to, be able to see again. I, could still, I reckon I could find my way around that house now with my eyes shut. Children, some childhood houses are often like that, aren't they? Well, this church is, is blind, and Jesus says, I can open your eyes. Come to me and I will show you the truth about yourselves and the truth about me. I just wonder if there's a hint here in the gold, the white garments, the white robes and and the salve, the eye opening of Jesus' role as Messiah, as prophet, priest and king. That's what it means for Jesus to be Messiah or Christ. Uh, Those words just mean that he was the anointed one, anointed with the spirit and anointed In the Bible, means you do three things. You're either a priest, a prophet, and a king. And for Jesus, he's all three. He is a king rich with gold. Everything you need is in his hands. And therefore, you need lack nothing. If you fear the journey home, if you fear whether you can keep going as a Christian, that's okay. In fact, that's many ways a good thing, not to have confidence in yourself, but he has got everything for you. He's a priest, a priest to deal with righteousness and holiness. He can clothe you both with his own perfect life to make you safe before the Father, and then give you the power to live slowly but increasingly a life of holiness. And he's a prophet. Prophet's open eyes enable us to understand and see. Come and buy from me, Jesus says this morning. I counsel you to buy from me. And what's the cost? Well, the cost is nothing. He has paid for everything at the cross. You just need to come like the Pharisee in our sto- uh, story earlier with empty hands. He won't charge you. He wants to give. Do you need some of those gifts? Are there holiness areas that you know you're just not bothering with? Have you become sleepy, clouded in your vision that actually you, that the gospel means very little to you anymore? Christ means very little to you anymore? Crow to him, Lord, open my eyes. It's all in him. These are what you need and what you need daily. He comes with a warning. He comes with an offer. He comes thirdly. Right, do you see? With an invitation. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Verse 19 said, so be zealous and repent. Come back to me, he says. Come back to me. That seems strange to you, verse nineteen. Those whom I love, I discipline. If I love you, says Jesus, I'm going to discipline you, children. That means kind of train you, correct you, tell you off. You might even say, "I, I reprove." But to reprove someone is to to correct and say, "No, that is not right. What you're doing." It's this this verse, verse nineteen. If you look at it, it unsettles two, two types of people. Uh, The first type of person it it can unsettle is those who, who don't feel secure in Christ's love. Now, that's not, by the way, the same group as those who aren't Christians. It's possible to be a Christian, but not feel particularly secure, assured in Christ's love. Now, if you know his love, if you know he is for you, you're forgiven and safe, then you can accept his discipline. Because I'm secure. Yeah, you can tell me what's wrong with me, Jesus, because I know that's not you throwing me out. I know I'm not being discarded from your presence. So yes, you can tell me what I need to sort out, how I need to repent. You can put your finger on the problems in my life. But if I'm not secure in his love, then when he comes to me and points out things, or when through other people, the pastor or a friend or a spouse, when someone else comes and and Jesus points things out through them that are wrong in my life, then it's going to lead me to absolute terror. I'm either going to have to deny it's my fault. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Because it's just psychologically too terrifying to admit there's something wrong because then maybe Jesus won't love me. Or I'm going to have to try and ignore it. When you're secure in his love, you can take his rebuke. And the two go together. Love and discipline. Never fear just because Jesus is disciplining you that it means he doesn't love you. It's not either or. Uh, For others, uh, verse 19 is baffling because we've come to think that that if he loves us, he won't rebuke us. God is a God of love. Jesus is a, a, a God of love. Jesus wouldn't say things like what you're saying this morning. There is no room in our Jesus for a Jesus who promises to vomit out of his mouth those who won't come back to him. To use the imagery of the book of Revelation, we have a Jesus who is a lamb but not a lion. But that's not the real Jesus. Sometimes people do this in terms of Old Testament and New Testament. There's a God in the Old Testament who, who seems full of wrath and anger. But in the New Testament, it's all love, love, love. But, but you can't believe that if you've actually read both the Old Testament where we see a God full of love and the New Testament where we see Christ fully able to warn people about the dangers of hell, of sin. Jesus' rebuke is for the Laodiceans' good and for our good this morning. And that's why in verse 14 he introduced himself as the, words, as the one who has the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I am the truth speaker, Jesus says. Uh, your culture, here, might be telling you you're great, you're a success, you've made it. Our culture loves that, doesn't it? T- 21st century culture in Britain, it's all about positive affirmation. At no point can you tell anyone they're wrong, because that is to attack them. At no point can you challenge their identity. Uh, that becomes uh, abuse, Jesus says, no, I will tell you the truth. If there's something wrong, I will tell you the truth. Again, he's like a doctor, children. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You don't want a doctor who every time you walk into his surgery, just says, oh, you're great. Isn't everything wonderful? You want a doctor who can look at you and say, actually, do you know what? You need some medicine here. That is what Jesus is doing. The words of the amen, the, the one who says, yes, truly, who speaks the truth. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's a slightly strange description of Jesus, isn't it? How is Jesus the beginning of God's creation? Well, we mustn't think that, that Jesus, the Son of God, is created. It's not as if the Father existed, and then one day he created the Son. Jesus is not a creature uh, like that. That is not what it means. I think the, the beginning of God's creation is referring to the new creation. This whole book of Revelation is driving towards a day when the whole world, the whole universe, is made new again. In chapter 21, God makes a new heavens and a new earth. Now, that's all in the future for absolutely everybody. And the promise comes that one day when that day arrives, all those who've trusted Christ will have new bodies, we will be free from sin, our souls will be renewed too. All future for everybody apart from Jesus. When Jesus rose from the grave that first day, he was glorified. He didn't just have his body back as before, able to bleed and die, suffering weakness. He had a glorified body, a resurrection body. That's why in the New Testament sometimes he's called the first fruits. In other words, the beginning of the new creation. So here Jesus is saying to the Laodiceans, look, I'm there already. I am living the life that you are being called to. I'm already in this new world and I have the body to prove it. And so I'm the one who can really tell you the truth. Uh, Your colleagues in Laodicea will tell you to compromise, to not be too sold out for me, because it doesn't lead to success. I'm telling you, says Jesus. Success is found in, is in living for the new world, not this dying world. Uh, your colleagues are telling you you're rich because you've got loads of money and, and nice houses, a cracking chariot and a team of horses. I'm telling you, says Jesus, as the truth teller, the amen, the one who's already in the new world, that none of that really matters. That when you die and get to the gates of heaven, I'm not going to ask to see your bank balance, to see your credit card debt. No real riches are found in a life lived wholeheartedly, sold out for me. So be zealous, verse 19. Wake up, repent, come back to me. Again, the distance between Laodicea and Leeds, not that great. Is that Christ's call on you this morning? Wake up, be zealous. Never mind building for this world. Never mind listening to all the voices who say invest in the here and now. Prioritise your career. Be sensible. Don't overdo your faith. Certainly don't risk or jeopardise your career, your sex life, your relationships for his sake. Uh, Don't be too keen. Don't be an extremist. Just calm down. Blend in. Have Jesus as a lovely little thing on a Sunday morning. It's great that you can go meet other people and have your own community. That's lovely. But leave him there. No, sir Jesus, I am in the new world. Listen to me. And the invitation is a personal one, verse 20. I stand at the door and knock. Perhaps the most famous verse, even in the whole of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and he with me. Who's the invitation for? Uh, I came to faith on, on summer camps and um, the same talk would be given almost every year on these summer camps and, um, and a picture of Jesus would go up on the wall and there'd be a door with three locks and the guy giving the talk would pull the lock over the lock of believing in him or repenting of your sin and I can't remember what the other one was. Um, and it was always used as a kind of evangelistic text, a text for those who aren't Christians. Let Jesus into your hearts. Well, do. <laughs> okay. That's good theology, but it's just not what this verse is about. This invitation is being issued to who? To Christians, to the church. There's a warning there again, isn't there? It's possible to be a church where Jesus is stuck outside the door. Every now and again you, this morning, you might hear that, if you've been here a while, you've heard several times that, that the door kind of goes, bzz, bzz, if people are locked outside. Imagine if it was going to be tragic if that was Jesus outside. Bzz, bzz. Not letting him in. He'll unsettle things, make us uneasy. Things run quite well without him, better without him. Jesus says, I'm here knocking. And it's an invitation. Open the door, say, Lord Jesus, come back into my life. Yes, I've grown blind. My eyes have gummed over. Yes, I'm spiritually so poor. Yes, my my holiness is nothing. I look at it and I, and Jesus says, I'll come. I'll come. He puts it another way. How does Jesus respond to Christians who make him sick. He says, can I come and eat with you? He doesn't throw them away, put them on the trash heap. He says, I will come to you. I will come in and eat with you. It's a picture of fellowship, of acceptance. Again, let me speak to you. If you've been a Christian for a while, do, do you believe Jesus actually wants to know you? Not just that he's begrudgingly willing to let you into his heaven or into his kingdom, but he wants to know you. He wants to know you personally. And we know he loves the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, okay, the, the, the gang members with the amazing testimony. We know he loves the, the super keen Christians, okay, the Billy Grahams and I don't know, fit in the blank. But he doesn't love us the half-hearted, stumbling, not very good Christians. Jesus says, I love you. I want to come in. I want to know you. Do you need to hear that invitation this morning? See his kindness, his desire. I will come in, the promise, the certainty, and eat with him and he with me. We need to be a church that wants that door flung open. Fathers who come before the Lord each day and say, Look, I am, you are right, I am pitiable, poor, blind, naked. Help me, rescue me, rescue my children, my family, my church. We want to be a congregation that is constantly in prayer, opening that door and desiring that fellowship. Because finally, Jesus offers, or gives rather, not just a warning, not just an offer, not just an invitation but a promise, verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. One day, says Jesus, stick with me, open the door, find your riches in me. One day you will sit down. Sit down on a throne with me. It's a picture of authority, of no more threat. No one threatens the king and you'll be on a throne, says Jesus. Jesus. Your sin won't trouble you anymore. The devil won't trouble you anymore. There'll be no more persecution, no more shame for living a wholehearted Christian life. Everything will be beneath your feet. Anything that could stand against you and just an eternity of peace and glory and love. All, all for you, all won by me and offered freely. Just come. If you're not a Christian, therefore do come to him. Lord Jesus, I've not lived as I should. I see that. I've no spirituality within me. I see that. You are full of love and forgive. I see that. I want to trust in you, not myself, and live for you from now on. But if you're a Christian, maybe that's what you need to pray to. Open the door again. Reignite me, Lord Jesus. Again, all the riches are in him. Don't wait until you're on fire to ask. Ask because you're not on fire. Don't wait until you see really clearly his love to ask for your eye to be opened. Ask because you can't see his love. Don't wait till you're clothed and full of spiritual riches. Ask because you know you're naked. And he promises he will come and he will answer. Well, let's come to him now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to hear both your warning and your invitation. You are the lion and the lamb. We confess that we are blind in so many ways. We don't see you as clearly as we should. And we long for you to open our eyes, pour that medicine on us, that salve. That we might see the whole of your truth, the whole of your beauty and your goodness. We are naked. We don't live as we should. We're not holy as we ought to be. We, don't, we confess even desire holiness as we ought to So, clothe us. We are poor in spirit. And so, give us the gold riches uh, that are found in you. Lord, we want to open the door. However, half heartedly, we want to open that door and for you to come in, for us to know you and you to know us. We pray that for ourselves as individuals, as a church, for the families here. Come and eat with us. Might we know you, we pray. We ask only trusting in your love, your goodness, for that is all we can trust in. But there is nothing greater to trust in. Bless us, we pray, therefore, in your own name. Amen.